stargazers, and welcome to Seventh House Astrology, where I take anything astrological or anything related to relationships, and I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I am so glad that you guys have joined me today. So I'm doing something a little new today. I'm actually recording in the morning. Normally, I usually record like in the evening hours. But um, this is going to be something that's going to be new along with uh, how I've been rehearsing my podcast this week. So this will be just like an interesting new addition or just kind of an interesting new phase, really. But uh, today's episode, we are actually getting into our last planet already. I mean, it was just yesterday. We actually just covered the planets and how they're related to Sinistry Astrology. You know, it was just yesterday that I remembered we were covering the, the Lumiaries, the sun and the moon. So, I mean, my time's really run by very quickly. But uh, this planet is uh, Matthew McConaughey's favorite planet, and that is of Neptune. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. It's like, okay, Sandra, how do you know that Neptune's Matthew McConaughey's favorite planet? Well, I just remembered back in the day when Matthew McConaughey did win the Screen Actors Guild Award for Dallas Buyers Club. I think his whole acceptance speech, from what I understand, was a soliloquy on Neptune. It just kind of stuck with me. Uh, this was further reiterated by Kate Blanchett saying to the conductor who was kind of rushing her off stage. She literally turned to him and just said, you know, he's talked about Neptune for like 15 minutes. Give me five more minutes to thank the people that I, I need to thank. Thank you. And uh, it just kind of stuck with me. Um, and if you need any further proof, well, uh, definitely – Take a look, like YouTube, some of the Lincoln ads that he's done and then replay this podcast or actually play this podcast when we're getting into Neptune's associations and you'll see why I kind of state that it's his favorite planet. Whether or not it really actually is, I just, I kind of joke that it's, it's his favorite planet. He's a very Neptunian individual. It's because of this that actually... Guess who's going to be the subject of the sample chart for this week? Hmm. So to kind of get right into it when it comes down to Neptune, when I was back in my astrology class back in 2013, um, so I'm going to be honest with you, stargazers, Neptune was always very elusive for me, and its meanings were always very elusive for me. And they still remain so. Um, it's the, the sort of planet where I may come to my conclusions. I can draw some of my conclusions. But there are times where I still have to compare notes with other astrologers. And uh, from my research this week, I'm not the only one. But um, my astrology teacher back in 2013 had uh, come up with an interesting theory. Now, again, as with Mercury in the water signs, I don't know if this was an actual kind of like a working theory or if she had heard this from another astrologer somewhere because she actually had trained in London uh, to be a, an astrologer. But uh, she had said that when it comes down to Neptune, when it makes contact with another planet, so particularly when it's in conjunction 
with another planet, it can water that influence down. And, you know, when I first thought of this and when I was first exposed to this theory, I thought, you know, that makes sense because Neptune was the Greco-Roman god of the ocean and also of lakes and streams. So, you know, right there in a nutshell, water. It rules a very watery sign, that being of Pisces. And, you know, most of its main attributes are kind of watery. So that makes sense, the dilution theory. However, when I tried, to, when I, it was like years later when I actually, um, I mean, I had tested this theory over and over and over just to see how, how it goes with still kind of nebulous results. But when I actually had watched a, an episode of Major Crimes, it was the, um, it's called Special Master Part Two. And it did involve astrology, which was, and also, I mean, first off, there was Annie Potts and it features astrology. Need I say more as to why this is my favorite episode? Oh my goodness. But uh, in this particular episode, the killer was actually obsessed with Neptune conjunct Mars. And I remember thinking to myself, that's actually not a great transit to be obsessed about because that was, that, that was actually a transit in 2015. It's like, you know, that's not a great transit to be obsessed over because obviously if um, the dilution theory applies, then that means Mars, that planet of willpower, of strength, of survival, that's being diluted. Basically, it's being lessened in its degree. And, you know, knowing a psycho killer, they'd probably be obsessed with the more aggressive side of Mars. Well, um, when I did look it up as well, too, when I, you know, double checked my theory, it's like, does this, does this mean what I think it means? Then there was a completely different, you know, interpretation of it, which meant that actually with Neptune and Mars, Mars actually heightens Neptune ability to be far more charismatic and it kind of produces individuals. If it's in the natal chart, um, the individuals are, are really highly charismatic, almost cult leaderish. And, um, in a transit, a lot of people would be obsessed with that charming cult leader sort of mentale, which made a lot more sense when it came to this particular episode of major crimes. But the reason why I mentioned this is, you know, not only is there this particular meaning that's very interesting when it comes to Neptune, but with any, any sort of conclusive evidence, it just kind of goes to show that, um, the reason why Neptune can be so nebulous is that whenever we come to any conclusive evidence, when it comes down to this planet in astrology, we have something else that counters it. And we have, you know, its energies is as, as, is as such where it kind of continually transmutes, continually transforms to where it takes on a different shape all entirely. So it can be very, it's a very uh, wily planet in a way to track down. The biggest association that I did get from Neptune from my class that has still stayed the test of time is that of dreams. Now, not just literal dreams, you know, not just the dreams that you have every night when you go to sleep, but also um, I came to know of it uh, from my chart where Neptune is actually squared my Mercury placement, uh, kind of like daydreams or just your overall dreams for what you'd like in your in your life as well too. I feel like that's encompassed by Neptune. 
for me, daydreams are really pretty prevalent that I almost have to force myself to kind of go after the daydream as well, too. Otherwise, I could, I could dream a dream, I could, you know, sit and think and sit and kind of muse and, you know, let those dreams take me away forever and a day and have it not lead anywhere. And um, it's best to kind of get up and try to do something about it as well. But, um, you know, in turning to Joanna Martine Woolfolk, I found a couple of words that I actually, I had to embolden as well as italicize because I felt like this really embodied Neptune to the fore. So she mentions that's the planet of mystery. Mystery is definitely one that's italicized emboldened. Illusion. Also spiritual quests. So for mystery and illusion, mystery especially, um, I think really when it comes down to the mystery, what's kind of interesting about Neptune, John Townley had actually mentioned this, whereas a lot of astrologers state that Neptune, they swear that Neptune was discovered late 1800s where spiritualism was like really coming underway. A lot of other astrologers have come forward and a lot of other astronomers too have come forward and have said, you know, um, the discovery of Neptune is really not well and conclusive. You know, it's, it, you know, some think it was actually early 1800s. Others think it, it was the late 1800s. It's kind of like the person who observed the skies at the time. It's kind of like his records kind of dissipated to thin air when it came to the exact date. So, and I thought that that was kind of interesting and also kind of embodied Neptune very well that we don't know Neptune definitively. It's kind of like when we try to grasp water in our hands, we can do so only for so long before it kind of drips out of our hands. But mystery for me really embodies this planet like, like no other. And I say the mystery is even that even more, it's even more mysterious than Scorpio. Um, and what Scorpio can be. I mean, I know we all consider Scorpio to be the most mysterious sign of the Zodiac. I would say that actually Neptune is even more mysterious than Scorpio can be. It's just, it's shrouded around that mystery. The illusions as well, too. Um, I think it's interesting with Joanna Martin Wolfolk, as well as Jewel from Truth and Aspect Astrology mentions that, um, Neptune also rules Hollywood. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Walt Disney had a very prominent Neptune placement because I would not be surprised if Disney World is also ruled by Neptune. And for that matter, in the regard that how many times has the illusion, I mean, when we watch the Oscars, I know when I catch the Oscars, it's like my, the Super Bowl for me. But, uh, you know, when we watch the Oscars, how many times do we see the person who's accepting the award stating that, oh, this was my dream come true. Thank you so much to the Academy. And, and this just proves that everybody's dreams can come true, which um, I find that's perfect because that's not only very Neptunian, but, you know, being Neptunian, it's, it's kind of, you know, Hollywood is definitely the machine of dreams, you know, people chasing the dream, even if that dream leads them, unfortunately, with Black Dahlia, if it leads them to an unfortunate path such as murder, 
or, um, you know, if it kind of leads them to different alleys and different dark alleyways and different dark corners before they actually achieve their success, you know, such as what we've had with the Harry Weinstein stories and also, unfortunately, with the Bill Cosby stories, um, you know, the, the, the disturbing stories that have uh, surfaced over the last couple of years. But uh, with definitely with Hollywood, definitely the the churning of dreams. I wouldn't be surprised if L.A. is also uh, ruled by Neptune in the regard that's all about making your dreams come true, chasing your dreams, uh, kind of like with Pretty Woman. This is the place of dreams. And also Disney World is the same. You know, how many times um, when you go to Disney World, it's you're making your dreams come true. Or, you know, it's, it's like your, your dreams come true, your fantastical dreams at that that are coming true, which is also very nebulous, very Neptune, very illusory as well too with the illusion. The other example that I can come up with with the illusion is, you know, like when Matthew McConaughey and his Lincoln ads could, uh, you know, uh, split himself in half or he gives the illusion that he split himself in half to where one of him is in the back seat of the Lincoln demonstrating how it's such a smooth ride and the other half is driving the actual car. I, I just, I had to throw that one in there. But also um, spiritual quests. With uh, spiritual quests, I think um, really with Neptune, it does, um, you know, heighten that need for really going into another realm. You know, when we talk about spiritual quests, it's not like, oh, I found a metaphysical idea. It really reverberates with me or, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of connected to, you know, all that is the universe right now. And that really works for me. When it comes to the spiritual quests of Neptune, it's like going all in. You not only find a theory that really works for you, but you go all into it, almost to the point where you want to almost enact a shamanist, shamanistic sort of scenario where you are going to the other world or where you're making contact with the other world. And like I said, really going all in with that. And I think that's why a lot of astrologers say that when Neptune was discovered, this was at a time in the Victorian era where things like um, contacting spirits, uh, you know, the occult, you know, like a lot of occult societies started to form at that time, uh, really getting into hypnosis, really getting into a lot of the, like I said, not only occultish, but also just the, the more spiritual aspects were coming out at that time when it came to the individuals. Um, ironically, also during the Age of Enlightenment. So, you know, here we were, we're mixing the intuitive side with the rational side of that era, which I thought was, was actually quite interesting. But definitely with Neptune, it's, you know, like kind of like what um, the Victorians were doing at that time is really embodied by that, that planet. It's like, like just going all in, all in, go big or go home type of thing. Neptune is also the planet of artistic imagination or inspiration. Um, for me, I've encompassed this with a lot, you know, how many times have I dreamed the great dream of a really, what would make for a really great screenplay, um, being an aspiring writer that I am, or what would make for a really great novel, um, only to not really always achieve it. 
But uh, Joy Marshall, the author of the Neptune Uranus influence, had gone so far as with the artistic um, imagination and with the artistic inspiration. She actually mentioned Mozart, who actually did have a very prominent Neptune placement in his chart. Um, And with Mozart, what's kind of interesting, the fact that the guy could not only dream up of opuses and symphonies, he could not only hear them in his head and envision them and how they should be, you know, how, like, which sort of instruments should play where and how the melody should go as opposed to what the harmony should be. But the fact that the guy could actually write these opuses, these symphonies, I mean, the, the, the great body of work that he did is just, for me, that's amazing because I have ventured into uh, songwriting. It, it's not easy. It's not an easy feat. I mean, even just a three-minute song can be very, for me, it's a, a very tricky act. But I admire anyone who can come up with that, and especially symphonies, operas, opuses, you name it. I, I just, I find that's really amazing. But, you know, with Mozart, you kind of listen to his music um, really carefully, too, not only can you see that not only was he inspired by Neptune, the great concepts and the great artistic imaginations and machinations of Neptune, but also the other quality that's usually embodied, which is that of like kind of like a mystical quality, um, which is usually embodied with Neptune. Usually you can kind of hear like this kind of ethereal sort of sound. Um, kind of like what I say with the psychedelic furs as well, too. Um, and also a lot of the, the songs that came out of the eighties, there's this ethereal quality that comes out of it. And, uh, you know, to me with Mozart, I wouldn't be surprised if like the muses did indeed speak to him, you know, with that Neptune, that heavy Neptune influence. I wouldn't be surprised if his intuition was so open that he literally did hear a lot of inspiration and opened up to the muses at play in his life. Overall, stargazers, when we do kind of wrap up the general meanings of Neptune here, um, the biggest thing that I would really impart to you is that it does encompass the realm of the subconscious, the hidden memory, intuition, and clairvoyance. Hence why I've been mentioning, you know, intuition, dreams. It also deals like, you know, again, with dream interpretation, dream life, um, also your, your daydreams as well too. Anything that deals with your most receptive side I think is really what is embodied by Neptune. Now, of course, there is the shadow side of Neptune. So, you know, while greater compassion being of higher Venus is also embodied with Neptune, you know, having your dreams be embodied, um, dreams, you know, like really dreams and, you know, dreaming the big dreams, really. Um, it's really kind of Neptune is the beginning of the process. I kind of feel that, you know, Mars and Mercury, those are like the fruition of where you go with those dreams. You know, and while spiritual quests are also really very positive in and of itself, um, Joanna Martine Wolfolk also mentions that the shadow side really is that of, well, first off, poisonings are ruled by, by Neptune. Drug and substance abuse can be as well. Um, 
since our guard is lowered when it comes to Neptune's influence, you know, with Neptune kind of dissolves boundaries. So it's kind of fair to say that our, you know, as we're reaching into our receptive qualities, our guard is lowered. So um, deception, frauds, scams are also associated with Neptune. So um, it's not surprising that when you're going, like, say, on a spiritual journey, that you might come into, like, say, a charlatan who claims that he or she might be a shaman, or you might come into a charlatan who claims that they're the spiritual expert, when really it's either a cult, or it's a sham, or, you know, somehow you're being deceived, because again, that that guard is lowered. Um, that can also be ruled by Neptune. And Again, with like the fraud, sham, the drug addictions, the poisonings, um, that kind of leads me into Joy Marchand's conclusions, um, some of the other uh, interesting tidbits that she had mentioned when it came down to Neptune. And that was really a lot of people take a look at, oh, Neptune, that helps us get in touch with our spiritual side, helps with spiritual quests. And a lot of people really kind of like take Neptune on as like their primary energy or their primary planet that they aspire to. And she mentions, you know, be careful with that because diving into Neptune can really be like diving into the ocean where, you know, you're diving into a territory that's very vast. It's very illusory. You know, you don't, you can't really determine you, your, your eyes don't really adapt very well um, underneath the water. Um, so you, you can't really see what's, what's illusion as opposed to what's reality when you're under the water, but it's also just very vast and very deep to where you could drown. My association with Neptune when reading Joy Marchand was it's also like going into a forest when there's a heavy fog. So instead of waiting outside the forest or waiting to go into the forest and waiting for the fog to lift, um, you just kind of go into the fog. Really, again, same thing that you don't, you know, the boundaries between reality and, you know, like what's real, what's not real tend to blur really considerably. Um, and it can be quite a scary experience. She also goes even further to state the example of the drug culture in the 1960s, the late 60s into the 1970s, where a lot of people who were just jaded with life or they wanted to just fully escape um, life all the way around because let's kind of face it, you know, with the assassination of JFK, the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, of Bobby Kennedy, also the fact that the whole country was kind of like in a disarray at that time, a lot of people felt that life really sucked. And, you know, especially when the Vietnam War also started, you know, life was really desolate. It was very Plutonian almost. It was very desolate. There wasn't, you know, a lot of growth. There wasn't a lot of room for growth and a lot of disappointment all the way around. Um, a lot of people just felt very, you know, um, stripped out in a way. But um, one of the things that they ended up doing was to turn to Neptune's influences or influence when it came to the drug scene 
in the regard of, oh, LSD, this will help me go on a vision quest. Oh, L- I can drop LSD and um, I can go search the, the higher realms and escape the stuff that sucks here and maybe come back with a, you know, a great piece of information or really come back with things that I could, that really I can learn from and embody in my life. And really what ended up happening instead was that, um, kind of like with those nowadays who tend to go on ayahuasca trips with shamans, um, sometimes there are those who end up getting a bad reaction, especially in the late sixties, early seventies, the, a lot of people did not, you know, kind of research into LSD. They didn't really kind of think of, of, you know, with every drug, their side effects, you know, and they just kind of dropped it and ended up having a psychotic breakdown or latent psychotic tendencies coming out. And, you know, basically overall having a bad trip where again, that, that, um, fine line between the drug trip and reality were very well blurred to where it was a scary experience. Um, and I mentioned those who tend to go on ayahuasca trips. I, I know someone, um, actually it's my cousin's partner is also one of these individuals where he's decided to go on an ayahuasca trip or go on frequent ayahuasca trips because of, you know, it'll inspire him to write better. The, you know, again, very Neptune led, a guy who's very Neptune led. I've always told him, it's like, you know, you could venture into the spiritual and you could venture into going into, you know, learning a lot of spiritual lessons naturally. I mean, you don't have to go into a drug induced state. And of course he countered that with, oh, but I have lots of grounding meditations. But um, the overall point of this is, is, you know, before you escape to a certain drug and think about spiritual questing and journeying under the influence, just be careful that with Neptune, again, poisonings, um, losing sight of reality, getting into a drug-induced psychosis, going into all the negatives can definitely abound, um, especially if you're, like I said, you're just embracing the whole of Neptune. You're more prone to being either deceived and, and actually also, again, with this, you know, with the bad trips, how many people were deceived in the regard that with LSD, it actually originated with the army. Actually, the military used it with prisoners of war to psychologically torture them in order to reveal the truth about like who their leader was, where certain key bits of information happened to lie in order for the United States to win the war. And of course, you can imagine what happened to, happened to those poor prisoners of war. You know, they ended up having the worst psychotic break ever. But, you know, again, with that illusion, that mystery, it was very elusive as to how LSD made it into the regular drug culture. You know, as with all, you know, controlled substances or with all drugs, it's like it's very mysterious how it kind of wormed its way in when, like I said, it was used for very negative purposes. And also when the full side effects were fully well known by certain officials that again, I find it very nebulous, also kind of shady and sketchy in a way that still made it to the mainstream as well. 
Now, I know I mentioned ayahuasca trips, and I don't knock that. Um, what I would say, Stargazers, is that if you are like my cousin's partner and you do want to go on a vision quest, like, you know, you do want to take peyote with, um, and, yeah, or ayahuasca and experience the, the other realm as you do when you're under the, the influence of these drugs, make sure that the shaman that you're doing this with is reputable. And a great way to know they're reputable that, you know, many people acknowledge them, many people refer you to them, or there's a high reference rate to this particular shaman. Um, also, you know, a lot of the reference rates would also include, you know, the shaman has helped to heal people. Um, so that really kind of minimizes the deception aspect of it, but also a really great shaman, kind of like what this guy had, um, had said, like my cousin's, um, partner had mentioned, you know, um, a lot of shaman experienced shamans will give you at least like, I think they give you at least like 10 different meditations before you go to this ayahuasca trip. And also the same with peyote because it's a high hallucinogenic drug. And, you know, because you're, you're making contact, you know, you're, you're kind of piercing the veil between the worlds. Basically what they really do recommend is that you at least have like a, a 10 grounding meditations that you practice daily before the trip. Because, um, when you're under the influence of ayahuasca, say that you're having a bad trip or say that you're experiencing something negative, it's a way to ground you of, okay, this is real as opposed to that's not. So that the, the fine boundary between what's illusion and what's reality doesn't get blurred and you're not walking out of this session with a psychotic break or with more mental illness on your hands or more complications on your hands than what it's worth. You know, many experienced shamans want you to experience the best of the other world. So definitely um, hold back from the impulse that Neptune gives where it's like, oh yeah, the, the spiritual quest and, you know, everything that you can find within, you know, if the muses are guiding you there, make sure to pull back go into your Mercury um, mode and do some research into it um, before you go into it. So I know what you guys are thinking now. It's, you're, you're probably saying, okay, Sandra, this is all kind of interesting, all nice and well, a um, little bit nebulous, but yeah, all nice and well, how, you know, Neptune, what it means all the way around, but what does it mean in sinistry? What does it mean in relationships? And I'm glad you asked. So with John Townley, he was unfortunately unable to help me when it came down to sinistry astrology. Because, um, you know, he had come to the same conclusions that I came to. He just said that it's kind of out of our control, Neptune is, mainly because with the unfamiliarity with the planet. And he had mentioned the, you know, we don't know the discovery of the planet, um, as I'd mentioned earlier, where dreams, mystery, illusion, hypnosis, drugs, poisonings, shams, addictions, all these things are associated with Neptune. Um, I even mentioned in the earlier in this episode of the dilution theory and how it was disproved. Um, a lot of the time with Neptune, we get a lot of 
oh, we have this conclusive evidence about this planet only to have it be superimposed or super um, kind of subsided to something else. So it's kind of fair to say with Neptune, it kind of shifts and changes its meaning and its archetype shifts and changes often. It still deals with um, psychic ability, the subconscious, um, you know, the really the hidden aspects of ourselves. But um, again, there's a lot of shifting because it is, as John Townley had mentioned, it is a diaphanous planet. He said, you know, diaphanous planet that cannot be forced. You know, its um, its attributes cannot be forced in the relationship. But he says, you know, it rules all things unknown in the chart. He also mentions, of course, it's where dreams, fantasies, hopes, and ideals meet or they clash depending on you know, whether it's of a good aspect in the chart or badly placed in the chart between you and your partner. So with all things unknown, it could really rule, you know, for me with Neptune, what that means to me is that it can rule you're just attracted to somebody and you don't know why. You know, if Neptune isn't a good placement in your chart, So I think a good placement would be, like, say, your partner's aspect is, you know, Venus. It's outside your Neptune aspect. That would be a good placement. Um, I think that's actually really the best placement, I find, because I feel when Neptune, when they meet each other, when they're either conjunct each other, that's too much of an idealistic relationship. Um, I think, you know, if they're trying each other or if they're... um, sextile each other. I think that it could work out well, but mainly it's, you know, uncovering the unknown in the relationship. So in a good placement, you might find out why exactly this partner, why you're drawn to this partner, even though you're normally not, that's the person that you're normally not drawn to. This partner's, you know, not your type or they exude personality traits that you're normally not, you know, kind of attracted to. And so in well-placement, you kind of find that out. Badly placed, it just becomes more awkward over time. It's like, you know, you kind of have that sense of why did I, why did I uh, pursue this relationship? And then the other that I, I think I have also covered in a previous episode, which was that of ideals, is that, um, again, high idealisms come out of Neptune. You know, falling in love with somebody because they seem to be your greatest ideal um, is really embodied by a Neptune placement in the chart. Again, um, how well it's placed will convey um, that, yes, indeed, this person is right for you. That, you know, it's, you know, as much as there's a mystery, a mysterious aura around this person as much they, as they seem kind of, you know, ideal and you just kind of don't know why um, the ideal actually works out. You kind of find out that this person is really, you know, meets everything that you look for in a partner. Ill-placed, and that's where I see the shams and the con artistry coming out. And this is where I had pointed out with my cousin when uh, it came to his fiance at this time, you know, where he noticed that she's just ideal in every way, shape or form. Like she can walk on water. She can walk on air. She's just, she's just beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's everything. It's, you know, obviously smitten with her. Um, The one thing that I'm really concerned about with him is that he's falling for a con artist who's going to lead him astray. 
which also happens with Neptune negatively aspected in the chart. Negative aspects to me are Neptune conjunct Neptune, as I'd mentioned earlier, um, where the, uh, you know, the relationship is too based with the ideal that, again, you're not seeing the real, you know, like what's real in the relationship. Or, you know, again, if Neptune, you know, Neptune placements are either squared or they're paired with like, say, someone's Neptune placements paired with someone else's Pluto placement, you know, obviously that's where you're not only deceived, but also this person wants to deceive you in order to take power and control over you. Um, again, badly placed, you start to see that um, the illusions are actually leading you off a cliff. It's kind of like the fool card in tarot where that fool could either be, you know, just, you know, exalting the view from the cliff or coming close to falling off the cliff due to his sophomoric um, tendencies. But I also see that as being in line with Neptune, with the Neptunian relationship. You can lead yourself to where you fall off a cliff. Another great example of this that I found in pop culture is that of the relationship between Sutton Strack and Garcelle Beauvais. You know, they both have Neptune. Neptune's almost is so conjunct that they're almost on top of each other in both persons' charts. And uh, with that said, what I do see with this relationship where I just feel like it's too much of the ideal, like it's just it's based off of ideals. You know, for Sutton, it's based off of, gee, I'm a Southern white woman. I'm I'm proposed to be a racist. So therefore, I'm going to befriend a black lady and therefore I'll be good. And so here's Garcelle. She's black and she's really nice to me and she's really supportive of my emotional realm. So she's really an ideal friend. I'm going to be friends with her. Garcelle, kind of similar. It's like, yeah, I'm really brash. Ladies accuse me of being kind of, you know, brash and a little too not so nice. So, oh, here's someone who's really nice and who seems to be accepting me. So I'm just going to go for this relationship. And again, um, little do the realities, little are the realities acknowledged. You know, for Garcelle, little does she realize that actually there are allegations with Sutton Strack where she has been deliberately racist towards one of her daughter's friends. And not only in mis, you know, in labeling one of her daughter's friends, but also, um, kind of pushing that particular friend away from her daughter. Um, so which could be an icebreaker for Garcelle. For Garcelle, or for with, you know, Stratton, Garcelle has some really harsh judgment. I think uh, Erica Jane stated it more than anything, or Erica Girardi stated it more than anything. You know, where she, this last week's episode where she just shook her head and said, God, so judgmental, you know, with, with Garcelle, it's like she just kind of, you know, wants to go for theories in order to become judgmental and holier than thou above everyone else in the group. Well, little does Sutton realize that. And that really that Jar Garcelle could use something that Sutton states or use an emotional state that she's experiencing at that moment to become harsh, judgmental, and holier than thou above her, which could be a real icebreaker for Sutton, knowing how super sensitive she is emotionally. So um, with that said, Stargazers, what I usually propose when it comes down to Neptune and Sinistry um, because Neptune is so 
smoke and mirrors get lost in the fog. Um, I think I even mentioned in the ideals episode, you know, how Willoughby in Sense and Sensibility in the, the movie version, he's known as coming out of the fog because he's just such a, you know, he's uh, Marianne's dream ideal lover. Um, really, because we get so lost in the fantasy, we get so lost into the dreams and, you know, how these dreams are fun for us. And particularly in relationships, we get lost into what we want to see out of somebody. We, we want the, it's usually the ideals that we want to see come out of people and that we get so lost in those ideals um, that we, we lose sight of reality. So I always just say, you know, if you do find someone who is ideal in a relationship, you know, that's really awesome. There's nothing against that. Um, what I just challenge you to do is try to find the reality of that person. Maybe this person walks on cement, just like the rest of us at times. Maybe this person kind of like with La Vida Nuova, um, with Beatrice with Levita Nuova. There might have been times with Beatrice and Levita Nuova where when she stubbed her toe, she probably said a swear word or two. That was, you know, not so ideal. Um, you know, maybe with your, I, you know, the idealized person, um, maybe they do have flaws that make them human. And I just feel with a Neptune relationship, it's best to balance the, you know, so it's great to have the, the relationship or it's great to have the ideals, but really challenge yourself to look at the reality of this individual. You know, like maybe this individual is not like Mr. Darcy. Maybe he drinks beer in his underwear and watches sports all day long. You know, that's really not a great ideal. That's, you know, so far from Mr. Darcy, you can't even believe it, you know, but it, you know, mention, kind of see that that possibility is there. When you're able to balance the ideal with the reality, I feel that's what Neptune teaches us when it comes to relationships, that relationships are really all about blending the ideal with reality and being able to accept both in that individual. You know, as they say, with true love, true love, you should be able to fall in love with the ideals of someone as well as the realities of someone. You know, the fact that someone could, um, you know, swear like a sailor or, you know, they have flaws, they have vices that could make them possibly far more endearing than all those ideals that you have, um, you know, that, that you're, you're just seeing in this relationship. But that's, I think that's the biggest thing that I would say with Sinistry um, of what Neptune embodies is really, again, it, it, it focuses on the ideals and it focuses on, you know, really uh, the balancing act mentioned above. And also, too, um, good uh, Neptune placement, too, can also blend dreams, fantasies, hopes um, for the relationship into the relationship to where they're livable, they're workable, and the relationship can thrive as well, too. So with that said, Stargazers, I'm going to flip the page a little bit and we're going to go ahead and go into our sample chart between 
with actually with Matthew McConaughey and actually where does his Neptune placement actually lie? It's actually kind of interesting. And also um, with his relationship with his wife as well too, well, like where her Neptune placement lies, what other factors contribute to the relationship at large. So we'll, we're going to pause for the cause and then we're going to come right back. And we're back. Um, I am so sorry, Stargazers. I meant to actually introduce Matthew McConaughey's wife, and that is Camilla Alves. Now, I'm hoping that I have pronounced her name correctly, um, you know, but kind of associating a name with the identity. So it's not just, oh, yeah, that girl who's Matthew McConaughey's wife. I mean, I, I know how obnoxious that could really be, but... I have pulled up both of their charts, and um, I actually found that their charts were actually quite interesting when it came down to Neptune, and especially with Mr. Neptune himself, um, I was kind of wondering, it's like, could Neptune, could he be, well, so kind of backing this up here. For many actors, when Neptune is actually on their ascendant, that is actually a chart that is like a godsend for the actor. Um, what that usually means is that that person not only can blend into a crowd really well um, to where they're almost chameleon-like with the, again, the illusions aspect of Neptune, they can blend into a crowd really well um, to where people don't recognize them and they can just kind of do whatever they want. But also for an actor, um, they that means they also can blend into a character so smoothly to where you can't even see the boundary between the character and the actor themselves. So I kind of wondered with Matthew McConaughey if he had that prevalent placement because, you know, he is very very, very spiritual. I mean, I, I've, I've been forced to kind of recount like some of his, not only the antics, but also some of the things that he has encountered um, when he first launched his career in the 1990s. I remembered when he was like the emergent, you know, not only the sexiest man alive in People Magazine, but also when he was just emerging, um, made his debut with Jodie Foster's Contact and um, I th I'm sure there was there was a string of other movies as well, too. But when he was a blockbuster actor, I know he had some very profound spiritual experiences. And the Lincoln adds, I'm sorry, that's like Neptune influence all the way to a T, um, almost to the point where it's like, what does this mean? You know, you're falling backwards into a pool in an Armani tux. What? Huh? I know I've, I've looked at it. It's like it, the only thing I can come across is like this is like the Calvin Klein ads that aired in the 90s where somebody would be filmed in black and white. They're wearing a nicely dressed, you know, outfit. They're just singing a random song while looking kind of dead, like kind of looking like uh, one of Robert Palmer's backup singers. And then, of course, show the the logo's name, you know, Calvin Klein. Like, it's just some of those ads just, like, make no sense, except it's just, like, do whatever you want to do to advertise our product is really what I, what I see when it comes to the advertiser. 
But with Matthew McConaughey's uh, Neptune placement, it is not on the Ascendant, unfortunately. I'm kind of wrong here. Um, actually, it's in his sixth house, in his sun sign, you know, same house as his sun sign, which is that of Scorpio. And uh, so to introduce Matthew McConaughey, his son is in Scorpio. Uh, he does have his son conjunct with Mercury, hence why I feel like he's so verbal. Um, but also his moon is in Virgo. So you kind of look at his appearance, very neat, very orderly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised when it comes down to preparation for his characters, if he's very neat, orderly, there's a specific method, there's a specific sequence that needs to be met for him to really fully embody the character. But, you know, with um, Neptune being in Scorpio, you know, while it might not be on the Ascendant, while it might not be in Pisces, it's still in a water sign. And I think with Neptune and Scorpio, that actually kind of explains a lot with Matthew McConaughey. You know, with his soliloquy of Neptune falling backwards into a pool and Armani Tux with the Lincoln ads. Um, you know, actually, it also makes sense as to um, in the 90s, I believed he actually had stated that... Um, if I'm getting this correctly, he was in Louisiana um, in between filming. And when he was in Louisiana, he made contact with a spirit or with a ghost. And I think he gave her a name because it really wasn't well known. Again, ne you know, Neptune, very nebulous. And ghosts, ghosts and spirits, that's definitely part of Neptune's realm. So very nebulous. Um, we don't know it, as to whether ghosts embody a fifth dimension or maybe a fourth dimension. You know, it's there's loads of theories about that, but not really well proven. We, we can't really prove that. Um, but yeah, he did make contact with the ghost and spoke with a ghost as well too, gave her name and I think also respected her, which is good. Um, I'm not, I'm kind of concerned about the fact they spoke with the ghost, my own associations, my own, um, intuition kind of tells me, um, I just hope that this ghost wasn't a negative spirit that attached to his aura because you know the moment that any time in which you converse with anyone whether spirit or even just on this physical plane their energy merges with yours you know kind of it, it attaches with yours at least that's what i infer um with my own intuition but yeah that's the only thing i would be really concerned about but um yeah i mean with neptune and scorpio um that really conveys that this person is very much into the occult, um, is very much into the unseen, the unheard. So I wouldn't be surprised with Matthew McConaughey if he's blending his spiritual life, which includes the occult and ghosts and the paranormal and all this, that, and the other, you know, the, the paranormal, um, you know, if he blends that into his life or if that is really a part of his life, especially since Neptune is really very much near his sun's placement and Mercury placement as well, too. Um, in the realm of being in the sixth house, that's where, um, again, he's very, I'm sure he's also very dreamy and um, he comes with very big ideas when it comes to coming onto the set as an actor and really making sure that those ideas are expressed, that they're conveyed. And um, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if a lot of those ideas are actually really great ideas. 
even though he can be rather nebulous and um, quite hard to pin down sometimes. But I'm sure he came up with a lot of brilliant ideas with his turn in Dallas Buyers Club and also with his turn in Magic Mike, um, believe it or not, with the character of Dallas, where he, he really departed from his usual roles of romantic comedies and being the romantic lead to actually being that of, uh, you know, excuse my language here, but kind of being that of almost like a pimp, um, you know, like a sagely pimp in Magic Mike, um, which I, I was really, I guess I just very impressed with that the breath that he reached to that. But, you know, I, like I said, again, um, I'm sure he came to the set with, I think this character should do this. I think this character should say that. And I think, you know, kind of coming up with really grand ideas that were probably good ideas. Um, so I think it's also very fair to say um, with Neptune in Scorpio that his intuition is very keen. Um, he's very open and very receptive to the muses as well. His wife, action, and so, okay, to Camilla Alvarez. First off, more power to this lady for being able to put up with Matthew McConaughey. I'm sorry, after the Lincoln ads, for me, personally, if I dealt with somebody like that, I would be like, dude, you're not making sense, and dude, I'm losing patience. So more power to her that she's able to be very patient with him. And her chart indicates that as well. Even though her son's position is in Aquarius, which Aquarians and uh, Scorpions, they have a very different energy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised this Aquarian energy helps to ground Mr. McConaughey when it comes to his Neptune ramblings and his ethereal ramblings here, there, and everywhere. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she kind of grounds him with logic and really just kind of getting to the root of the issue, getting to the heart of the issue, and possibly saying things like, dear, you need to cut your speeches short, or dear, you need to, you need to ground some reality into your speeches here. It's, it's a little nebulous. Or Han, we might want to accept roles that um, don't allow you to kind of just riff, because I don't know, I don't know what you're, what you're, what you're trying to impart with these, these um, Lincoln ads. But uh, her her moon's position, on the other hand, is in Pisces, which also indicates that she has a tremendous amount of patience with Mr. McConaughey and a tremendous amount of receptivity when it comes to dealing with him, which I think is really um, very, I think that's really awesome. That's you know, really awesome in all the way around. And I think that's really, that helps to make this relationship tick as well, too. Um, that she has a moon sign that not only connects with his sun sign in Scorpio, but also his moon sign in Virgo as well. So it kind of tells me she has a little bit more of an understanding with him than, say, if someone were to have, like, say, a sun or a moon in Aquarius or, um, you know, most, uh, like, a lot of personal plants in Aquarius as well. With her Neptune placement, um, so her Neptune placement is actually similar to mine, uh, which is in Sagittarius, which in Sagittarius, it's a little bit more grounded. Um, it's not so much in the occult and the the nebulous aspects of the occult. It's not like the Victorian, you know, like kind of like Victorian age interests. 
Um, I think her interests mainly would be like what my interests were um, back in the 90s, especially uh, being really attuned with New Age. Also, um, you know, with Sagittarius, with big mused ideas, like the muses speak to you when it comes to big ideas. Now, um, also with the fact that Neptune is squared her moon, however, it's also, you know, she has a high, you know, very big emotional breadth in herself. And also really um, relationships with women are very important for her. Also, again, to um, very, I think also very into, I feel like this is a very intuitive aspect. I think the only drawback would be that she could get lost in the intuition a little bit. And um, again, it's a little fuzzy as to, you know, what, you know, which intuitions kind of work for her in her life as opposed to which in intuitions really don't as well. Also that huge emotional breath um, that could get a little out of hand as well too, to where it's, um, she could have like really big ideas, really big visions. It's kind of emotionally charged. So it's hard to kind of get to those big ideas and those big visions and really encompass them into the world. Um, even though Neptune is semi-squared to Mr. McConaughey's Neptune placement. So I would say in this regard, a lot of ideals do come out in this relationship. I think that there are ways in which both persons can kind of ground each other or kind of bring the best of each other out to kind of help ground just seeing the ideals and only the ideals. I could see with Mr. McConaughey where he would look at Camila Alvarez and say, oh, well, she's really pretty and really ideal in all ways, shapes and forms because she's really pretty. Um, and really, I could see with Camila Alvarez having to ground him a little bit with, well, thank you for the fact that I'm pretty, but I'm also... I also have this vision. I also have, I'm also this sort of person. I'm also that sort of person. So like I said, again, infusing the relationship with a lot of reality. I think that that does happen again, just with her son's position alone and also with her Mercury's position also being in Aquarius. She infuses a lot of logic into the relationship at large as well. So, Stargazers, I hope this was a fun episode. Um, it was fun to prepare, actually. Um, it was fun to prepare. I thought it would be, well, and it was kind of interesting because every day in which I prepared this episode, it felt like I wasn't really prepared to go behind the microphone because there's always something new or there's always something elusive or always something that just wasn't really quite making sense for me when I was rehearsing it in my car every day, going to work, and also at times going um, home from work. And then there are other days where things just clicked and really worked, only to be changed the next day. So I had no idea like how this episode would come out, but it was a lot of fun just preparing. Um, I hope it was a lot of fun and very informative for you guys to listen to. As always, do not be afraid to look up at the stars. I think we're um, coming close to a full moon here. Um, I know that for those who are in the pagan community, Lugnazda just happened, um, which is like an early harvest. So happy Lugnazda to those who had celebrated. 
Um, but yeah, I think we do have a full moon coming up here um, when it comes to the stars. Um, but I think above all, you know, um, sometimes looking up at the stars gives us a break. It gives us a pause. For me, it helps me to establish our origins of astrology. You know, um, we originated with the stars and with the constellations that form our 12 signs of our zodiac. So definitely connecting with that is also very good. And, you know, like I said, just taking a moment, just taking a pause, especially if you should be having some Neptune situations this week where reality and, you know, fantasy are being blurred, you know, in order to just kind of ground back down to reality, just kind of look up at the stars is always very nice. But, you know, also stargazers, since I noticed that, um, Mars is also conjunct Uranus. I have been noticing a lot of erraticism, a lot of fires, especially, and a lot of accidents. So stargazers, if you are behind the wheel, be careful this week. And, um, you know, it seems like a lot of the fires have been like vehicular oriented and vehicular started. So definitely, definitely be careful whether you're behind the wheel whether you're not, just just be extra aware. You know, may all your awareness be keen uh, within this week. And I think this transit's going to last for a little while, so for like the next two weeks at least. So just may your awareness be extra keen. Um, definitely, if you're not sure, take a deep breath, become more present, and just really see what the heck is really going on so that you're not a part of those accidents that are occurring. But above all, stargazers, with that note said, I hope to see you nice and well between now and next week. And between now and next week, until then, be well. To contact Sandra Misek for any questions or comments, you can do so at either Misek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com or at our Instagram page at Sandra.Misek. Again, that is M-I-S-E-K. You can also uh, take a look at her Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology for as little as $5 a month. You can become a member of this podcast and also get a free Sinistry Charge reading. Go on to patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology for more details.